Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast. In this week's Adult Bible Studies, we continue our study through the book of Romans. We're on a new section, a new chapter. We're in chapter 6, and this begins a new section. And I'll, I'll recap this a little bit in the lesson, but we started dealing with sin, salvation, now we come to sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, we're going to get into it in the lesson, but sanctification is the life after you're saved. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you overcome sin? That's what we're going to start to get into today in chapter 6. So without further ado, let's jump into the study. Thank you again for being a part of the podcast. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Like I said right there at the end of my prayer, this truth that we're going to get into is sometimes confused even by Christians. And even for me, understanding it somewhat, but in 2009 is when I set into a conference and really changed my life to the understanding completely of how the gospel not only affects the sinner. We know that because we're sitting here and we've been saved. So we understand that, man, I got saved and now I no longer have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven. But And if you've been in my classes before, you've heard me teach this truth. So you guys, but a lot of times we look at it as like, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. That's wonderful. But right now, i got to figure this whole process of sanctification and growth out because I can't win over sin. Sin keeps beating me. I'm too weak, so I'll just fight with sin as much as I can, and then I'll get to heaven and I don't have to worry about sin anymore. But what if I told you you actually already have victory over that sin you're struggling about? What if you don't have to lose every single time? Because you already have victory. But a lot of us don't know how to claim it. We're claiming it in a legalism type of way, instead of trusting in what God says in his word. So Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to begin to learn about that. We've already looked in Romans, first dealing with sin. He opens up chapters 1, the end of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and he's dealing with the subject of sin. And then at the end of chapter 3, chapter 4 and chapter 5, He's talking about salvation. And so that's what he has laid out for us so far. He has laid out for us that you are a sinner and salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Was, did anybody, when you, if you've been here for these studies, did anybody see anywhere where Paul said you have to work to, get, to be saved? He was very clear. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, Paul, if it was anything else in the New Testament for us to know... Put it in chapters 3, 4, and 5 because you're talking about salvation. He didn't mention anything about any other way to get to heaven other through faith in Jesus Christ. But at the end, and we need to pick up at the end to understand chapter 6. So let's go to chapter 5 actually. And look at what he says starting in verse 20. Because he's ending his conversation about salvation. He says, moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. And I said last week that the law helps us to see that we're sinners. The, the speed limit sign that says 55 helps us to know that 85 is making us wrong, okay? If there's no sign that says anything, then do what you want. But, uh, but the sign brings about a little bit of a, of a conviction. Just like last night when my sister's trying to text me and I'm driving home and I'm trying to text and drive i look up and there's a cop in my rearview mirror waiting to get by didn't have his lights on i was totally fine thankfully but i realized i got over and told her stop texting me basically so (laughs) so uh uh, but the 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 car with the lights on the top kind of told me let's get over and not continue to text so we the this where the law entered and showed the offense it says but where sin abounded 
Now, this is the key phrase he's going to get into chapter 6. Where sin did abound, when we had a lot of sin, grace did much more abound. So you say, well, I'm a wicked, wicked sinner. There's no way I could be saved. Well, guess what? God's grace abounds all that sin. It's greater than any sin. That you, no matter how wicked you may have been, his grace is sufficient to cleanse you from all your sin. And he says in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. So that is the principle that he ended with. And that I say ended with, he's still writing. He didn't say chapter 6. But he's transitioning now, but he had just talked about how where even though there's a lot of sin, grace does much more abound. But he knew that there was going to be some, they're like, all right, well, hey, if a lot of sin brings a lot of grace, and a lot of grace brings a lot of glory to God, then I'm just going to keep sinning, and it's all for God. You know what I mean? Because God's going to forgive me, and he's going to get the glory. So I'm just going to go live it up in sin. And then ask, God's going to forgive me and he's going to get tons of glory. Now here's what he says, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or continue to abound? And then notice his answer, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And that's going to be the phrase to transition us to this new part. The gospel, not only to the sinner that we just talked about, but now as Christians, how does the gospel affect my life? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how does it affect my life now? And he says, it doesn't mean that now that I'm saved, I just go do whatever I want and allow the grace to keep on coming. He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? He's talking about our position. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Why would we continue in sin? Well, then that brings an obvious question. Well, I thought I kind of had to continue in sin. I'm not ever in this lesson going to teach that you can be sinlessly perfect. You're never going to sin again on this earth. Not going to happen. But we don't have to have the track record with that we do have with sin. We can sin a lot less. So let's talk about sanctification real quick. A word that I've used a few times already. What is it? Let's talk two things. First of all, our positional sanctification. Because he says we are dead to sin. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he's talking about our positional sanctification. Now as a Christian, when I got saved, for me about 11 to 12 years old, for you whenever it was, I was positioned, I was set apart by God unto holiness. I, I'm no longer under the bondage of sin, which is going to be the whole lesson today, but I have a new position. I am a child of God now. The moment we got saved. Remember, think of that song just popped in my mind as we sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Well, what put us in the position of the family of God? We were born again in salvation. That was the last three chapters. So positionally now, you are a child of God. I'm talking to you as if I'm assuming everyone in here is saved. You've come through chapters 1 and 2, and now you're saved. You positionally are in the family of God. That will never be taken away. It's another lesson for another time, but that will never be taken away. Your position will not change. Cannot change. But now, what about progressive sanctification? Okay, so I got saved here, but I need to, there's expected growth in my life before I get to heaven one day. That's the progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification, as you're going to see developed over the next couple of weeks, can be accelerated. So I can grow fast, I mean, as a Christian. Now, we know how you grow. I've grown this weekend some. You know how I grew this weekend? Physically? 
went to Smoky Bones and Avon yesterday. I grew physically. I can feel it right now in this suit. I can feel it. I've grown physically. And we know how you grow physically. You just continue to eat, don't exercise, lay around on the couch all day, eat potato chips, get grease all over. You can grow physically. But how do I grow spiritually? Well, you grow by faith. You're like, hold on a second. I thought I was saved by faith. Yes. How do I grow? By faith. It's faith choices. When I choose by faith to believe what God says in his word, and about some of the things I'm going to teach you today, that's how we grow. Well, then why is it that every, why is not everybody growing? Because growth is hindered by choices of unbelief. And we've all been there. We all sit in church, and that doesn't mean that we always choose belief. How do I know that? Because let's just pick an illustration. Let's pick, do we have more worriers in here or more angry people in here? All right, I should pull the audience, but let's, let's just pick them both, all right? Let, let, here's how I know that we don't always choose faith. Because if you're a worrier or if you're an angry person, guess what? You don't have to be. You choose to be. So, well, no, it's, it's in my blood. You know, my, my dad was an angry person. My mom was a worrier. Ah, it doesn't matter. You got a new master. I'm going to show you the illustration at the end. You got a new master. We chose. Because the Bible tells me that, I, that, in, that in Jesus Christ, that now I have victory. We always hear pastors say, and I've said it many times in class, that when Jesus died, I now have victory over the, the penalty of sin. I don't have to go to hell. And the power of sin, that's what we're talking about in this lesson. And one day, the presence of sin in heaven. But we don't ever really believe that whole power of sin thing. Because we're like, well, I just can't help it. I'm just an angry person. Okay, you're just saying, I can't help it, I'm just not believing what God's word says. I can't help it, I'm just a worrier. Well, then you, you're not believing what God's word says. And that lack of belief is hindering growth in your life. So, we progressive sanctification, how you grow as a Christian, is accelerated by faith choices, choosing to believe what God says in his word, which we're going to get to, and it's hindered by choices of unbelief. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to keep, keep working. That's what he does. Remember, Philippians 1.6 says, He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, if, uh, I need it to come to me because it was just on the spot, but it says that he worketh in you. He's working in you. So it's constantly, he's working in you. I'm going to go to it. I've got to go to it because it's too good of a verse. I don't need to be slowed down by this. But if it came to my mind, I'm going to go to it. So... In Philippians chapter number 2, it says this. I'm going to get this verse. All right, I'm going to get this verse because it's got to be there. All right, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to just read one here in a second if I don't find it. I'm going to text you all if I don't find it because my mind right now. I'm in chapter 3. No wonder I can't find it. All right, here it is. Here it is. It says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now the verse right before that says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not so much in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, that sounds crazy. Work out your own salvation. But then it says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And the illustration I always give for that is like when you're lifting weights. When you lift weights, you don't lift weights so you magically have muscles. You have some muscles in there, maybe smaller than others, 
can't we can't all look like Ryan Welty. I mean, we can't all just have big muscles. Maybe smaller than others. But when you work out, it helps it to grow. So he's not saying work to have your salvation. He's just saying you have salvation now. I'm writing to Christians. You already have salvation, so work it out now. And then he says in the next verse, it's God that works in you, both to will and to do of good pleasure. He's the one working to help you to grow in your faith. Now, all that, I needed to get to that verse, but it's the Holy Spirit is constantly working, but we as believers are responsible to cooperate by faith in this sanctification process, and God will help, and then we'll be able to live according to God's will. So I need to make choices every day in faith. And here's what the choices are going to be about. Let's go to, let's go to our text now. It says in uh, verse number three, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, verses 2 through 10 are really what I want to, the first point in this lesson is this. There's some things that we need to know. And, he's, and he says it clearly. He's going to say that word no several times in verses 2 through 10. If you want to understand fully what it is to live the Christian life, there's some things that you need to know. And that no is my new position of being dead to sin. And it happened to you the moment you got saved. So think about that moment you got saved. The moment you received Jesus Christ your Savior, you are dead to sin. Jesus Christ won the victory. And what he says in this verse right here, that so many of us that were baptized unto Jesus Christ, it's not necessarily talking about your actual baptism here. The word baptism is a word that means to place into or to dip. That's why we dip people when we baptize them. It means to place into. What he's saying here is when you got saved, you died. You were baptized into Jesus Christ. You were placed into Jesus Christ at salvation. And, and, and you were part of the family of God. I could, because, but because I'm going slow, I won't go over there. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you can cross-reference that later. It shows you, it talks about its salvation. You are placed into the body of Christ. So the day you got saved, for me, 12 years old, upstairs with my dad with his Ryrie study Bible, that moment I was placed into Jesus Christ. I didn't feel it. It's not like I was sitting there in bed going, well, this is cool. I just sensed myself going into the Bible. No. But in that moment, positionally, I was placed in Jesus Christ. I identified with his death for my sins. But then as he says here in a second, he says, and with his resurrection, he says, therefore we are buried with him and with his death, his burial, and baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. He's saying, you've got to know that you have a new position now, that you no longer are a under the slave master of sin, which I will come back to, but now you are in the family of God. You've got to know that, that you've died with Christ and that you're resurrected with Jesus Christ as well. Um, verse 6 is a key verse. Let's get down there. Let's go verse 5. He says, For if we have been planted together, the word planted together means united or jointed together. If you've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also are in the likeness of his resurrection. Now look at verse 6. Knowing this, so there's another thing we need to know, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, 
and that henceforth we should not serve sin. The word destroyed is a little confusing in our English language. When we think of destroyed, we think of like obliterated, like doesn't exist anymore. But we all know that our, that our sin, sinful desires still exist, right? Because I, I'm not going to ask anybody to tell me, but haven't we all probably sinned this week? You don't have to confess it here. So we know that sin hasn't been destroyed, doesn't exist. The word destroyed here in the Greek, it actually means to make of none effect or to render powerless. To render powerless. So it's a different thing. So it can be sitting there, but it's powerless. It's there, but it has no authority anymore. And so the word destroyed in, in this six in, in this verse here is not annihilation. It doesn't mean that because I'm died with Christ that no longer does, does sin exist in my life. No, we all struggle with sin every, every day. There's going to be wrestling matches with sin. So it's not annihilated. It just means it's no longer rendered an authority or it's powerless now. But then that brings another question. I keep wanting to jump ahead to my illustration, but I won't. But it brings another question because every one of us is like, well, it doesn't feel powerless to me. Because when I was worrying to death over this or when I was getting angry over this or when I was looking at this that I shouldn't have, it felt pretty powerful. Well, that's why we're in this lesson. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But it's because we fail to, first of all, know that our position is that that sin is actually dead to us. Because we at salvation identify with what Jesus Christ did. He has won the victory. Look at verse 7. For that he is dead, for he that is dead, that's you and I, are freed from sin. Now, he says, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And let me just read a few more. Verse 9, knowing, there's our word again, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but that in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, well, verse 11 is our next point. So he, in these next few verses, he's saying a, something that I want to set up for later, but he's saying sin's no longer your master. You have been released from his reign over you. That's verse 7. He says, he that is dead is free from sin. You've been free. I thought about opening this, this whole uh, lesson today by bringing somebody up here and just having them in handcuffs for a while. And just, just having them sitting here in handcuffs for a little while. Maybe just locking them all up. Maybe John would be a good guy. He's like, they're saying, no, no, no. Just had John locked up here. And, and, but that's the picture of what it's like in sin. We are just in bondage. The things that we maybe we should do, and, and, but we're just in bondage. But he's saying in verse 7, you are now, if you died with Christ, salvation, if you have that, you're free from sin. It, it's no longer your master. It no longer has authority over you because as the other verse said, it's been rendered powerless. Now I'm going to get to the reason. Actually, maybe a little bit more next week too, but I'm going to get to the reason why we don't feel like it's powerless. But you have to know in your mind. You have to convince yourself that sin isn't the authority in my life anymore. Sin is not powerful over me. I'm allowing it to happen. I'm going to come back to that. So, so you've got to know this. That's the first point. It's why he keeps saying knowing, knowing. You've got to know that sin's not your master. You've got to know that you died with Christ. You've got to know that you've been raised with Christ in victory. Like he says in verse 4, to walk in newness of life. And, 
and then again in verse 4, that now that you have died and raised with Jesus Christ in salvation, you are free to live the life for God. That's what we got to know. So number one, we've got to know. But number two, look at verse 11. He says, likewise, similarly, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Now, I remember when I first learned this lesson, which I'm, I'm actually butchering teaching this today, but that's all right. But I remember when I first heard this, I'm like, okay, he's saying the same thing. He just added the word reckon to it. So he says, likewise, so similarly, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Okay. So the only thing difference is we're adding that southern word reckon. Remember people say, I reckon this to be true. That's, so that's what I used to think. But the word reckon is actually, it's a different phrase. You've got to know, you got to know your position. you just got to seal it in your mind, understand that I have a new position in Christ. But the reckon means my new power, I have to reckon this new power over sin as being a fact. And you say, oh. okay, I thought that was part of the no thing. Well, here's an illustration. Here's one way. This is not the illustration we give you at the end, but if I were to say to Becca, I work at a bank, and this is actually reckoned as a banking term. So if I were to say to Becca, hey, Becca, I just want to let you know that you have a million dollars in your bank, bank account. So it's been placed in there. So she knows, because I just told her, she has to believe me, trust me, that she knows that she's got a million dollars in there. I said, you got a million dollars in your account. She's checking your account, you got a million dollars. And she may say, wow, it's amazing. I got a million dollars in there. But if she doesn't reckon it to be true, then she's not acting on it. She may say to her husband, hey, we've got, we've got a million dollars in there. And now Becca's probably, I don't know if you want to tell your age. Aaron, how old are you? You don't care. 36, 36 years old. 36 years old and just a million dollars got placed into his account. And I told him that as a banker, a trusted banker, friendly neighborhood banker, come on, see us, all right? As a trusted banker, I told him, you got a million dollars in account. He heard it. He knows it to be true. But if he doesn't reckon that, if he doesn't act on it, doesn't do it yet. He's 36 years old. Now, 20 years later, I'm still working at the bank, let's say. Hopefully not. But no, I'm just kidding. But I'm still working at the bank 20 years from now. I say, hey, Aaron, you still got a million dollars, man. I don't know what you're doing. You still got a million dollars. And at this point, Aaron's living under the overpass over here at Interstate 70. Becca's with him. Two kids are still there. Now they're 20, they're 20 years old or 28 years old. And they're all just, they're living there. And I'm like, hey, Aaron, you got a million dollars in your bank account. Like, you've got a million dollars. Yeah, I know. You told me that. Okay. You realize you're living under the overpass. You've lost everything. You don't have your house. You don't have your car. You don't have anything. Yeah, yeah. You've got a million dollars in your account. Yeah, I know. I know. Boy, I'm thankful for that million dollars. Like, what are you doing? But he's not wrecking it. You can say you know something. Like, when if I started this class, you guys could have been like, you can skip that first point. We all know that we die with Christ. We death, burial, and resurrection. We already know that. Okay. But the proof is in how we live it out. In my ilust stupid illustration, Aaron knows he's got a million dollars, but he's not doing anything. He's not reckoning it to be true. The word reckon means you gotta, you've got to count it. You've got to affirm it. You've got to consider this to be true. And every day you've got to act upon it, which is our third point, which we'll get to next week. Is we he tells us, just to see the verse that we'll get to next week, is verse 13 in a minute. He says, neither yield ye your members 
after you know something to be true and you reckon it, it's a fact, you yield yourselves to it. You've got to actually make some decisions based on this. But let me back up to the reckon for a second. It's something you continually do. It's in the phrase, it's in the terminology of continually. I've got to continually reckon this to be true. Why is that a big deal? Because you're going to continually face sin. And you're going to constantly feel like, I've got to give in to this sin. I've got to get frustrated. I've got to get angry. I've got to worry. I've got to look at this website. I've got to do this. I've got, and you've got to reckon it every single time. Now, the thing about doing this lesson as slow as I'm doing it and on the, re, the purpose where I'm doing it is it almost sounds like it's a long process. Like, okay, I'm tempted right now to, be, to worry. Let me sit down. What do I know? I know I'm a child of God. Okay, check. What's number two? I reckon that to be true, that I'm a child of God. Check now. No, it's not how it is. It's just got to become a way of life. It's just got to be a way that you think. You got to reckon that I am dead to sin being my master. You reckon it to be true. It's a fact. You begin to act on it, that I am alive to God. He is now my master and that sin has no right to tell me what to do. Let me just illustrate it this way and then get you out of here. Here... Like for Ryan, who's been in a lot of my classes, he's probably heard this. For a few of you that listen to me from time to time, you've probably heard me say this. But the only, the best way for me to understand this principle is this. I'll give it to you at the end here. Growing up, uh, I worked I, early on. I worked at a job at Walmart. I'm gonna give you part one today, part two next week. I worked at a job at Walmart, and when I worked at Walmart, I hated the job. Worked there for six months. Hated the job. Hated it. Had a boss named Gene. Like I said, I may have even told this class before. It's fine. It's for this truth. Had a boss named Gene. Gene was an older lady. Was clueless about leadership. Absolutely clueless on leadership. And one of my jobs, which was a really exhilarating job, I got to clean toilets. I got to uh, clean up so other people's mess. I got to wax floor or to to clean floors, sweep floors. I had to use one of those big brooms. It was absolutely exhilarating. It was a terrible job. Okay, terrible job. Lunch break or breaks. Uh, the other two guys that were supposed to be working with me on this midnight shift would go outside and uh, do meth, and my boss Jean would kind of go out there with them time to time. It's awesome. Yeah, she was great. So she'd go out there with them, and they'd come in, and then because they were so high or because they were so tired, they. They weren't doing their job. And so Gene would say, hey, Brad, go clean this toilet bathrooms too. It's awesome. Got to clean, clean the bathrooms. Then I'd be watching. Those guys had the easy job. All they had to do is push this great big room around so the rest of us could do. And, and they didn't. I mean, they were so messed up. or so They would just sit over there like this with a broom. They wouldn't do anything. But I'm running around sober and cleaning and doing my job for eight hours a night. It's an awesome job. Gene didn't do anything about it. I worked there for about six months, and then I was done. Didn't like the job at all. Didn't like my master at all. Can I use that word for this phrase? Didn't like my master at all. So imagine if I went back, Jean does not work there now. One, she's probably not alive, but number two, there's no way she would still have her job. But let's say I walked, Michelle and I walked into Walmart today after church, and we walked into Walmart, and there's Jean, and she sees me across the store, and she says, Brad, come here. And because I'm a nice guy, I'm just like, well, let's just go see what she wants. And I walk up and Jean says, hey, get in there and clean that bathroom now. It's been 20-some years. You know what I'm going to say to Jean? Nope. <laughs> you 
are no longer my master. If I can use biblical terms, you're no longer my master. You can't tell me what to do. And I'm going to take shell and say, let's go. We're getting out of here. I don't want to be around Gene. Now, every one of you can identify with that because I've built Gene as this terrible person, a terrible job. And I'm saying, I don't want anything to do with that. And that's really the position we have with sin. So when anger comes up and says, hey, you know what? What they did to you, you need to get angry right now. You need to get angry right now. We have the position, the power, and reckon it to be true. You can say, no anger, you're no longer my authority. We can do it. When worry creeps up and we want to worry about something or when, when a thing crops up on the, on the computer and we're tempted to click on it or, or when whatever sin that's your pet sin... Why don't you just tell us your pet sin? Just kidding, all right? But whatever your pet sin is, whenever it comes up and says, hey, you have to do this, every one of us can just say, no. Not in my strength, but in my position. I am in Jesus Christ. He died. He buried. He rose again. I no longer have to serve you, sin. You're not my master. That's today's lesson. I know my position. I'm in Jesus Christ. I reckon that to be true. You're no longer my master. But how many of us do that? I want to give the last part of my illustration. Why not? All right, I'm going to give it to you a little bit next week. But here, we don't. We don't. That's, the, that's today's lesson. Today's lesson is you can say to sin, no, but we don't do it. So I'm going to give you part two. I wasn't going to until next week, but it's going to absolutely kill me. Part two is this. When I was a teenager, I had another job. I worked at Lieber State Park. Love that job. Love that job. Did you work at Libra too? Yeah, love that job. We rode on these gators. We would we would push well, get on a Dixie and, and ride our Dixie around a little bit mowing. Love that job. Love that job. So let's say Shell and I after church today went over to Lieber and I had a picnic laid out. I was gonna do I was gonna put a, a no. Okay, let's just say we went over to, to, to Lieber to hang out. And my old boss was happened to me. I had a boss named Mike Clearman, cool guy. Played I played softball with him on a men's league softball team. Cool guy. He was just fun guy. He's not there anymore. But let's say Mike's there, and he sees me out there with a picnic basket and being the guy and romantic guy that I'm not. And then he sees all that. He says, "Hey, Brad. Hey, Mike. What's going on?" I go over to him because he's just a nice guy. I want to talk to him. He says, "Man, we're really short-handed." Would you mind jumping on the Dixie and mowing for us? Now, I love getting on a zero turn and mowing. Now, I could say to Mike, hey, Mike, no. You are no longer my master. I no longer am employed by you. You're not my master. You can't make me do that. Could I say that? Just like I told Gene, yeah, I could. He's not my master anymore. But you know what I would probably do? Well, it depends. If I'm with Shell, she may not want to sit there for two hours while I'm mowing. But if I was by myself... Not doing a picnic because that'd be weird. But if I was by myself, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'll jump on that mower. And I'll mow a little bit. Man, I'm just like the old days, put the headphones in. And let's just, that'd be fun. I'll do it. And that's what we often do with sin. Oh, the first illustration's easy. Oh, because we don't like Jean. She's terrible. She's doing math. She's doing, we don't like Jean. So yeah, say no. But the second illustration, like, yeah, I kind of like to mow. And, and here's what we do. Oh, anger comes up and says, oh, you need to get angry about this. And we're, and we, we're like, you know what? I kind of like being angry about that situation because what they did to me is wrong. And I feel like I deserve to be angry. And so now, you know what? I'm, you know what? I'm going to get angry. And we choose to sin. 
Do we have authority over sin? Not us. In Jesus Christ, we have authority over sin. I could tell that anger no, but if anger looked like Gene, oh, it's easy to say no. But when anger looks like zero turn Dixie at Lieber, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I feel like anger is justified in this situation. And so instead of choosing my new position in Jesus, I choose to yield to my flesh. And I say, I'm going to go ahead and let anger fly. I'm going to go ahead and let worry, because it feels justified to worry, because look at the circumstances and the bills. I mean, here's the bill right in front of me. So there's no way I can do this. Now, I know my position in Christ, and I know he loves me. I know he promises to take care of me, and I know all the things in the word of God. And I reckon those things to be true. It's true for other people. It's true for Jim, because God's taking care of him in his life. But in this moment, I'm seeing a bill, so I don't reckon that stuff to be true. I'm worried this right here is true, my bill. What do I do? Well, I got to trust this, but that doesn't make sense. I can't see it, but I got to trust him. That's faith. That's the true Christian life. But you know what a lot of us do? We sit here and worry ourselves to death over this, and our flesh is saying, you need to worry about this. And we're saying, yeah, you know what? I do. And we choose to give in to that because we feel justified in it. Just like the illustration, if, it, if every sin was ugly and mean, I don't mean ugly in the sense of Jean, respect to her, but if it was as mean and hateful looking as that job at Walmart, all of it, we would all be living in, I mean, we'd all be walking around spiritual giants like, yeah, hey, I don't want anything to do with sin, that stuff's terrible. But the problem is, we kind of like our sin, we kind of feel justified in it, and so we do it. And that's why a lot of our Christian lives are like this, and we're not living in the victory. Because we know it to be true. We may even reckon it to be true, but then I've dipped into next week's lesson. We don't yield to the truth because this seems a lot easier to yield to. And so next week I'm going to get into that yield part and what happens when we yield to that versus yielding to God, what we're supposed to do and how we can see victory. But the main thing I want you to get today, when you leave here today and you get a little bit frustrated, you get a little bit whatever, remember this. Sin is no longer my master. I am free from sin. I may feel justified in doing this. I may want to do this, but it's going to destroy me. It actually is rendered powerless. Just like when Jean in my illustration, she told me to do something. She's powerless. She's rendered powerless. So was Mike, but I chose to yield to him. Are you going to choose to yield to sin today or allow it to remain powerless in your life? Let's pray.